Welcome to the X-Men Task Podcast. My name is Willie Simpson. My name is Sonia Rappaport. And today, Sonia, we are back with our good friend, Brendan Jones. Hey, Brendan. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) Brendan, uh, you are back to discuss One Man's Worth Part 2, the 49th episode overall, the second episode of Season War, uh, Season War, Season 2, 4. (laughs) (laughs) Right there? I'm not editing this out. (laughs) You're worried about pronouncing my name wrong. Sorry, go on. (laughs) (laughs) The second episode of Season 4... Uh, maybe. Uh, uh, <laughs> Brendan, you're all the way back from Sydney, Australia. How's it going? That's right, yeah. Uh, I'm well, thank you. I, ho- I hope you're both uh, well as well. Yes, I am in the dystopian future, um, about <laughs> about 15 hours ahead of you, I think. Right, you, you're recording this a day ahead of us. Mm-hmm. Yes, so for me, it's, um, it's currently Sunday, roughly 11.37 a.m. Is the world still spinning? That's what we need to know. The world is still spinning. Um, there are some people outside in uh, robot tanks, and the sky has turned a very disturbing shade of red. So I think we might need oh, some help. Then. That's right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, whatever. I'm sure someone's going to go back in time and fix everything. Oh, good, good. <laughs> um, so that's what we're talking about. Um, last week's episode, One Man's Worth. Why do I have so much trouble saying that title as well? I don't know. Um, but uh, that was the episode where our old pal Bishop, and this time his sister, Mr. Shard, his new sidekick, are traveling back in time trying to prevent an assassination. If it sounds familiar, it's it's sort of what we got in season one, uh, where Bishop was doing the same thing, but trying to save Senator Kelly's life uh, from the murderous gambit, uh, mm-hmm. although it turned out to be the murderous mystique. Um, uh, but uh, so it's a similar plot line, but here it's like it's again it's updated again. You think it would be a bit redundant, but it's not. It's it's really great. <laughs> yeah, B- B- Bishop is like he's sort of an anti-assassin. <laughs> you know, yeah, if, like matter and anti-matter. If you've got an assassination going on, Bishop's like, oh, you know, I'll go back and do that. But something just occurred to me yeah. in that this is, of course, the first time we see Shard in the series. Yeah. Um, and she was quite new in the comics at this point as well. Um, she appeared... Her first full appearance in the comics was mid-1994. So she's... As I say, she's quite new. I wonder if in this cartoon continuity, we've never heard of her before because maybe she didn't exist until Bishop changed the timeline. Mm, interesting. Wow. Because he doesn't... He doesn't mention a sister in the earlier episodes for the production reason of she didn't exist. But yeah, yeah, I wonder. I wonder if that's the really, if if that's a fan theory I can put out there. Well, I like your fan theory, but I also want to encourage our fans in the X Men Task Podcast Facebook group to set the record straight yet again. <laughs> uh, sure, this is a group of people that really knows what they're talking about. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> well, I mean, I sort that... of know what I'm talking. about. Brendan knows what he's talking about. Okay. So Sorry, unlike me. <laughs> yeah. um, oh, I, I dip in and out of the, the comic continuity. But as, as you mentioned, listeners, I remember last week I promised you a story about meeting a listener of one of my podcasts. Yes, please. So um, uh, as well as doing podcasts and working as an editor, um, I, I do wrestling, Olympic freestyle wrestling. 
Whoa. And um, something we do for fundraising is dance parties here in Sydney. We do the coat check um, because dance parties in Sydney are for a, a certain clientele. They wear they wear their clothes and then take off most of their clothes and wear very little on the dance floor. <laughs> um, so at the end of this dance party, so you know. 200 people lining up, getting their bags back. Oh, very polite. You know, there's never any drama. But as I hand this bag back to someone, he said to me, do you host a podcast? <laughs> wow. And I said, and I said, yes. He said, do you host Flight Through Entirety? And I said, yes. And he said, you're Nathan. <laughs> so I'm like, close. Uh, I'm like, no, no, wrong, wrong bald guy. I'm the short one. I'm Brendan. He's like, oh, my God. But no, we've become, uh, that's some... Um, uh, his name's Chris. We've become very good friends now. But it was just so bizarre. Like three a.m. in this nightclub, I'm I'm just I'm running entirely on caffeine, and this guy says, "Do you host a podcast?" While he's standing there in his underwear. Yeah. <laughs> so you, you, you can... did he recognize your voice or what? Um, I think we have from time to time put photos up when we're recording um, oh, on our on our on our feed. So I think he must have just recognized me from there um but yeah you can you can meet fans anywhere really pretty great <laughs> yeah that's awesome um uh, what was i gonna say oh we're talking about uh the x-men are we <laughs> oh uh I, I was gonna say about like my memories of bishop in the comics are very uh foggy but i do mm -hmm. like one scene that stuck out to me was very memorable was bishop like naked in bed with storm because uh, I guess they just finished having sex, and I just th this was like <laughs> way to put two and two together. And, and, but then, but then I think, sorry. But then I think they were breaking up though too. I think that was like what was happening. That she didn't like. She decided that she didn't like him in the end, hmm. and it right. was a very dramatic. And I've never like this was a comic passed around my middle school or something, and I just remember being it was so risque because you know the the blanket was just barely covering all of their body parts, and it was just really. Um, interesting to see um but like but anyway but you know it, it's like mildly relevant to what's going on because in this episode we it's an alternate timeline where wolverine is in love with storm mm -hmm. but it's weird to think that in the comics that bishop and storm also had a relationship hmm. um so it's like i know the comics too sonia okay all right <laughs> um, that's my retort to you um but anyway this episode opened uh <laughs> Ten minutes later. Yeah. Take, take that. <laughs> um, uh, this, uh, the last episode ended on a cliffhanger where Professor X was exploded. That's the second time Professor X died. He died twice in that last episode, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, he did. He, he first died in a blinding red flash when the timeline was reasserting himself. And then he, die, he dies again at the, in the end of this episode, which was the thing that caused the timeline to change. So uh, a rare double death of Professor X. But um, here, this episode picks up right after uh, the events of the explosion, um, and the, the college explodes quite violently, and then the cops come with the diner guy, the racist diner guy, uh, to arrest uh, this g gang of overpowered people on steroids. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Wolverine's, like, ready to kill them. I think Bishop's also ready to kill them, too. I like how there's always a member of the X-Men team uh, ready to kill somebody, and then always another member, uh, like, holding them back. Mm -hmm. You know? Uh, a lot of short fuses. Yeah, a lot of short fuses, but a lot of people knowing better at the same time. <laughs> so in this case, Storm's the one who steps in. E even alternate timeline Storm, who presumably has killed a lot of humans, you would have to think, in their war with the humans, that no. she, she has a problem killing these humans. 
I don't think it's necessarily implied no? that the X-Men have been killing a lot of humans. Why? Why not? Because they're implicitly good. They have a really strong moral compass. I still don't think they would be killing people. I think it's open to debate. <laughs> yeah, I think I, th I think possibly if they are using lethal force in the future, um, it is a bit different in this situation. Even though these racist people in the bar are attacking Storm, in a way they're not her enemy, and it's kind of a situation of in the future she's in a war and in a war soldiers attack and kill each other, mm -hmm. despite the people in the bar being you know, violent towards her, the police are responding to a disturbance. Right. So Storm decides, I'm not going to use lethal force because these people don't really know what's going on. Yeah. I'm, ju I'm just going to... And, yeah, I love it when Storm does that. It's it's almost like just, oh, go away, flick of the wrist, you know. I'll oh, just get in, that, get in that whirlwind. I do not have time to deal with you right now. <laughs> <laughs> Which is something I, I, I loved about Storm as a kid because she's so verbose and, you know, yeah. wins! Crack open the heavens! I mean, she does say that here too. You I did that really yes. well. I do like. Yeah, that was great. <laughs> um, you know, Storm. I love Storm when she does her enchantments and like shouts at the sky to make her powers happen. But I also, do, I also like the subtle Storm sometimes when she just uses that wind power, knocks people over, and like moves on real quickly. Mm. I wish there, we saw a little bit more of that in the X Men cartoon. They, they do seem to make a spectacle of her using her powers like very often mm -hmm. in terms of her being overly dramatic about it. But like getting shit done storm is also a great storm in this show that we see sometimes too i think like yeah. most memorably in the pilot when beast is like hacking into the mutant registration like computer system he's trying to erase all the files there and and he's like reciting poetry of like langston hughes or something i don't know and um and storm's like enough we don't have time beast and she just like destroys the computer with a quick lightning bolt <laughs> but she's like we have to get out of here right now so yeah i like storm with some urgency too Yes, um, yeah. So as she's doing that, uh, I guess, like, the X-Men decide that they need to go back to the future to regroup and just, like, do it over again. Mm -hmm. Like, if you, you know, if you fail the first time, try, try again is mm -hmm. the, the overall plot of this episode. <laughs> yeah, and, and as we were saying last week, it's like, okay, so if you then succeed, did you go back in the past in to the future to go back to the past in order to change it i think i need to lie down um, <laughs> this is a confusing episode yeah uh, but they yeah, they do they do state that the way forges time travel works is that they can only start a new journey from forges time portal right so that's that's the conceit of why they have to go back and see right, how yeah, much yeah. things have changed yeah I, I do like the wolverine like he does express like tiredness he says i just want off this merry-go-round i'm fine with the crappy future we had it's yeah, like yeah, it, this yeah. is too stupid at this point you know at least i wasn't in cafes being assaulted by these two heavies who are just sitting out the back in case someone causes trouble this makes no sense give me my give me my robots and wolverine is such that like they could have just said yeah fine you go back to your time we'll just recruit the 1950s wolverine and have him help us <laughs> he's like the exact same person as you are yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's plenty of Wolverines to pluck from the decades. <laughs> um, oh, that would have been a that would have been a great time travel story. Bishop assembles an army of ten 
and Wolverines from different ages. <laughs> right. They all kind of look the same, but they're in different outfits. And based they all on... respond yeah. in the same way. That's not a very flattering portrayal of Wolverine, though. It means that he doesn't like change and evolve as he like grows older. Well, because his memories get erased <laughs> so many times that it's it's difficult yeah, yeah, yeah. to say which Wolverine knows what. And they start threatening each other, and Wolverine from 1910 says, well, you can't kill me, otherwise Hulk's dead. So, ha, huh, I'm safe. Let's kill the one from the future. <laughs> That's a good idea for a Wolverine spin-off comic. All the Wolverines of different eras, like, have to combine in, like, a time-like army and do some task that involves a lot of stabbing. <laughs> we, need to, we need to stab this robot exactly 274 times. Right. Assemble the Wolverines. <laughs> <laughs> it's made of adamantium. Why? Because we need all these wolverines. Well, we need some wolverines with adamantium and some with the bone claws. This is a really weird robot we have to stab. <laughs> um, so, uh, the, 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 they return to the alternate 2055, which is now, like, changed again. It, I guess it's, like, more fucked up than it was in the last time we saw it. Because it's, like... In the la- in the version Bishop's from Master, they're fighting a war against Master Mold, um, but I guess there's a glimmer of hope. That's I think Bishop or one of the characters says that. At least in our future, we had like a chance, um, but now in this new version of the future, Master Mold completely controls everything. He has even more uh, deadly Sentinels, which I guess they're referred to as Enforcers, and these are sort of green underpants wearing Sentinels. Um, so the future <laughs> the future is a lot bleaker than it was when we last left it. I, I wanted to mention, too, something that always bothered me as a kid about these episodes uh, was that they changed Master Mold's voice from when we were first introduced to him. Yeah, I think it, it must be a different performer, I suppose. Uh, well, I don't know if it's a different performer because it still has a, a, a note of the – okay, so in the original episodes when we meet Master Mold, he just has the generic Sentinel robot voice. And oh, I, yeah, yeah. And I always loved that. I thought that was kind of menacing in a way that he's not really that different from his creations. Mm-hmm. Um, and here they give him a much sassier, like, Shakespearean voice, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he's a lot and more quick-witted and a little, you know, got more personality to him. I just realized something I forgot to mention last week when Fitzroy drains, like, right. a random mutant in front of Master Mold. And um, Fitzroy says, don't worry, he'll he'll be all right in a few days. And Master Mold just says, oh, whatever. Oh, that was a great <laughs> moment. You're right. We, we skipped that. That was hilarious. <laughs> yeah, I, I, just love, I just love my head off it. Like, so that gives me sort of my favorite Master Mold line in this story is, oh, whatever. And my favorite Master Mold line in Master Mold's first appearance, of course, is, I am still plugged in. Yeah. <laughs> that is like such, I, I felt really bad for Master Mold in that moment as a kid because I thought I just felt like some weird body horror mo- like thing that I connected to myself as a little kid at that time. Like you're tethered to something. Yeah. Like, like yeah. imagine if you had to be plugged in to live and then you just can't unplug yourself. It's like will, Twilight Zodi. Yeah. I will say it's funny that every time I come back to the animated show, I actually expect Master Mold. Um, to have a female voice. Ah, right. Especially especially with Master Mold's um, sort of Series 1 appearances where there's sentinels coming out of That's Master Mold's funny. abdomen. Right. I see, it, I, see it, I see it like a birth thing, and I kind of expect Master Mold to, I don't know, sound like GLaDOS from Portal, and then, of course, I go, oh, no, no, Master Mold has a, has a masculine voice. But I suppose robots don't have to adhere to right. the biogenders or whatever. Yeah. Well, yeah. I really never thought of that. I The masculine voice makes sense to me because 
he's the oppressor you know what i mean like he's yeah the man. yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah you're right yeah he's all the worst aspects of the man programmed to machine <laughs> the man yes. as we know him from 1970s yeah. black exploitation movies um <laughs> So uh, they've returned to the crappy future. Um, we meet a Forge yet again, and he's even more hideously cybernetically deformed than he usually is. Well, I mean, mm. he's, he's actually pretty cool in his normal, like, Forge the action figure sense. He's got that cool, clear leg. Um, I, mm-hmm. I just remember having the action figure as a kid and loving it. Uh, <laughs> like, it was just, like, made of a like nice see-through plasticine or something. And um, so that Forge I'm okay with, with those cybernetic implants. But this version of Forge is extra scary, and you feel really bad— I think he's just a face and a ponytail. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He's basically just a face in a robot suit, and his robot suit has only three fingers. It's like yeah. a Simpsons robot suit. Yeah. Poor Forge. Mm. It's like, yeah, every time the timeline changes, I lose another limb, you know? It's also weird that... God... Forge... Yeah, go on, I'm sorry. Yeah, God... I was just going to say, God damn it, Bishop. Anyway, go on. <laughs> well, it's like weird that Forge is the one that keeps inventing time travel, yet uh, he himself is not using it. And we, yeah. and we and we know I mean we know that uh, in the comics he's a superhero, but we also know from the cartoon that he's an X Factor. He's like the leader of X Factor. And I don't know, it's like why isn't Forge a bit more heroic in I, I mean I get, maybe he has to stay behind and monitor the time machine or guard it at the very least, but kinda of strange that he keeps entrusting it to Bishop. Who is just yeah. this crazy like soldier man. Hmm. Yeah, he, Bishop very much, you know, thinks with his fists. <laughs> yeah. he, he's, he's not unintelligent, but his first response is, I have a problem, I'm going to punch it. Or shoot it with his crazy or gun. Sh- yeah, yeah, like, if no one's punched me first, I'll use the gun, but if someone's punched me first, <laughs> then I can punch them. Um, oh, I, you, you mentioning action figures and guns reminded me of something. I have three X-Men action figures, because even now, if you're a toy collector, which I still am, it's harder to get stuff in Australia. We don't get absolutely everything and at the time it was weird the x-men figures didn't come out in like our mainstream stores here they were in bargain shops they went straight to bargain shops here and i don't know why but so i had those prime time television come on exactly (laughs) i i had storm and her thing was there was a switch on her back and it lit up the lightning bolt on her chest yeah i had gambit who had a plastic trench coat i had Gambit too yep and the sort of kick action. Yeah. <laughs> like he kicked. And my brother bought me a Wolverine, which, which was one? really cool. brown one or the yellow one? The uh, yellow and blue. Okay. And it had retractable claws. But when I opened it, my brother sort of grabbed it off me. And he's like, why did they do this? I said, what are you talking about? He said, they've given Wolverine a machine gun. <laughs> he, he doesn't need a machine gun. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, that's that's some weird. And I mean, I know now as an adult that someone in the factory has no idea who this character is. Yeah. And it's like, oh, everything we do comes with an accessory. Oh, we've got these guns left over here. We'll put a gun in with it. That's really funny. I don't remember the, him having a gun. I know. I'm sure there's a million different types of made as well. Like I had yeah. the Weapon X Wolverine and the Brown Wolverine and the yellow one. And I remember, like, actually, I threw. I threw the yellow one up in a tree as a little kid once for some reason. <laughs> like you do. Yeah, and it like it landed back on like a driveway, like a cement driveway and his head popped off. <laughs> and I couldn't put it back in, but yep. I took the Wolverine head from my brown one for some reason. I ripped it out and I put it in the yellow one. <laughs> I don't know why I thought like that was like fixing it. <laughs> I, I've never like said this out loud until this moment, but I'm just wow. what was my train of thought? Like why did I 
And the, uh, you know, must have been, it must have been like the arm on the brown one must have been ripped off too. And I wasn't right. the kid like in Toy Story who was destroying his toys on purpose. I wasn't like some <laughs> sadistic <laughs> kid. I was just I don't know. They would just break. You know, they were real. Yeah. Like I remember Gambit's. I had Gambit's leg broke off, and um, you know. And and, si- and and Nightcrawler's tail, like he had like a rubber tail, that kind of oh, got like chewed off. I think I probably just put it in my mouth. I was biting it as a little kid, and then it just uh-huh. it just fell off. And I always felt so bad that I didn't take good care of these things. <laughs> but I was not trying to be mean to them. No. Toy Story fans. Um, <laughs> so uh, they're back in the crappy future. The time portal's d- damaged, and now we see these new Sentinels, these Enforcer things. And I, I did notice they're green underpants. I don't know why. They're not underpants. <laughs> they're overpants. Oh, right. Green overpants. <laughs> um, uh, they're uh, quite menacing. Um, and you know, there's a big fight. Uh, worth noting that Bishop, like, shoots one. Like, he starts shooting it from its crotch, like, upwards. I thought that was yeah. a bizarre animation choice. <laughs> Why? He's trying to cut it in half. I know. It's cool. But I just, <laughs> just, like, it just stood out to me that he really shot it in the crotch first. Hmm. Um, right in the green underpants. Overpants. Sorry. <laughs> um, there's some, like, funny scenes here. Like, uh, Wolverine looks like he might be dead for a second, but it's all just to do a fake out and kiss Storm. Um, so we mm. see more of their, like, nice, close uh, relationship which is like really the highlight of these two episodes Mm. Um, yeah and it's really nice and and really i think trusting the audience that that moment isn't done with dialogue right storm just runs over to him and picks him up and he gives her a kiss and she cries and they don't say they don't have to say anything yeah you know there's no overwrought like oh i thought you were dead oh i'm not dying before you no none of that you don't need it the acting of the animated characters and the voice actors but mainly the the way the animation is directed is really wonderful in these two episodes Mm-hmm. Like moments like that, just great. Um, and then, you know, so for the whole what's going on now, it's like a big like shootout fight, big action scene. And Forge needs time to fix the time machine. I like that Forge is more of a coward in this version of the future because yeah. Master Mold really controls the future, and he wouldn't even think to defy the Master. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of like that always made me a little bit sad, like just seeing Forge like really like not having a backbone um yeah and like you could just see he's like really busy. he's like a victim like everyone else in this timeline and the, the x-men have to they're kind of like annoyed at him because of it but they also have to inspire him to get work done uh, mm. to help them and very importantly they protect him right and i, th- I th- yeah. yeah and it's not just oh you're the only one who can fix the portal because so when they're protecting him the portal hasn't been damaged yet it's a matter of that's what we do. That's what the X-Men do. So right, yeah. they get, they're going to protect him even though he has sold, you know, not exactly has sold them out, but he has drawn the alarm and brought the enemy here. But it's like, no, we're, you're still our friend. We're still going to protect you. Yes. Mm. Um, I th- mm. I kind of skipped over the scene. So the crux of these episodes, it's, it's all this plot by this mutant called Fitzroy. Um, and we've discussed him. And he... He makes this deal with Master Mold in the first alternate future where, like, I'll go back in time, kill Professor X, and that way you can really rule the world with no resistance. So now he's returned to the his present and shows the video evidence to Master Mold uh, that I've helped you. And Master Mold, in this version, has never met him before and sort of agrees to make a deal with him uh, as long as he gets rid of the mutant band that's followed him back to the future it's kind of confusing um <laughs> but it sets up what this episode's all about is that master mold gives him a new task to take care of these new guys but then he you know just overhears master mold discussing with his minions that uh 
once Fitzroy does this, we're going to kill him too, uh, you know, because he's a, I hate all mutants. Right. I think that scene is really funny because, like, going back to what we were saying about Master Bold's voice, like, when he starts talking, it, he's, like, in private, like, behind closed doors to his, like, other, you know, his robot minions or whatever. I was like, in real life, I feel like they wouldn't communicate by speaking, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, like... In, They're real chatty Cathy's. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, you know, at this time, Wi-Fi isn't invented yet, so I guess, you know, <laughs> whatever. Yeah, when um, when you look back at old Doctor Who, there's these monsters called the Cybermen who a lot of people th- a lot of people think inspired the Borg. So they're, they're cybernetic humans. Yeah, I was just going to mention and, the Borg. Yeah. But, yeah, when they're, when they're alone, they have conversations about their plans, and it's like, you know, even in 1968... You had modems. Com- computers could communicate with each other, <laughs> and occasionally they d- they do do a graphic and send each other messages. But generally, it's you know we must protect the cave. The the bomb is in the cave. Yes, leader, I understand. It's like yeah, thanks for telling us that. Um, <laughs> I mean, I do love in this show the Sentinels do talk and they they do like say weird things to each other at times. Too. Yeah, I really love that in this show. It um, appears to be the Ace of Spades. Right. <laughs> <laughs> what is that object? Um, <laughs> Uh, so, uh, so Fitzroy overhears Master Mold, and way to blow your entire future, Master Mold, by just <laughs> not waiting yeah, for the sky to leave your room like for five seconds before applying to kill him. Um, and it's like, yeah, Master Mold, you are massive. You have a voice on a on yeah, like a right. speak. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you you can probably hear you three buildings over. Right. Yeah, he but, probably yeah. has like massive speakers in that mouth opening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. But, yeah, so yeah, it, Fitz, yeah, yeah, Fitzroy decides to become a good guy in this moment. Well, out of self, you know, interest, but essentially yeah, he's yeah, going to so, help the X Men now. Yeah, Fitzroy and and his assistant Bantam, right. so so named because he's small. You know, like in like what? Uh, well, um, Bantam is uh, a breed of chicken. Oh. So in in boxing, you have you know you have heavyweight featherweight. You also have bantamweight. Oh right, bantamweight. Yeah, yeah. And okay. and yeah, so so he's a bit small. I think that's where the inspiration for Bantam's name comes from. The character um, very bewildering, bewildering. Otherwise, though, like what? Yeah, yeah. Guy. He, <laughs> he, he's purely comic relief, and there yeah, to give yeah. Fitzroy someone to talk to. You know. Yeah, but still but ridiculous. I, I, yeah. Like referring to him yeah. as master and being kind of stupid and. <laughs> I I remember very much though chuckling um, whenever he goes through the portal and says I hate this yeah, <laughs> I feel like as a kid I, I could relate to a character like that in that moment yeah I mean I, I feel like you, you'd get the sense that time travel's really like dizzying or disorienting or violent almost you also felt small and sniveling well yeah definitely <laughs> I think most kids did you know, yeah I think as you know um, as sophisticated as we are as children and highly intelligent we also appreciate a bit of comic relief yeah, of course right. <laughs> alright so what's going on here um, so they're still battling these sentinels they're trying to get the thing to work the time portal um, but then there's some sacrifice uh, shard gets injured um Fitzroy gets injured too. He he gives the the disc that he needs to give to the X Men to give to his other former self uh, to convince himself not to go through with this plan. But he gets kind of like blown away to the side, and Forge is left behind too. So the X Men they go back in time uh, again, but without a few key allies. 
Yeah, yeah, they yeah they leave they leave, have to leave Forge behind and they have to leave um, uh, Shard behind, and mm -hmm. that is that is like when Nimrod advances on them. Yeah, the stakes are high, and they don't show the blast going off, but you kind of know what's about to happen. Yeah, yeah, bad news for them. But the whole thing yeah. is like, if the team makes it to their to where they're going and like completes their mission, then it's a moot point because that future continuity wouldn't happen. So yeah, exactly. Right, right. But then yeah. it does happen. And then well, they do really. I mean, <laughs> in that moment, they are going to experience the horrible pain of death. Right. So they just have to have faith that they'll come back to life. But it's it's one of those weird like philosophy of science fiction questions of whether like you know a version of you has died and experienced the excruciation of death, um, but is it undone like later? You know what I mean? Like it's it's kind of it's kind of like it's it's like that question. Um, the transporter on Star Trek, you know, mm -hmm. like maybe like a version of yourself is getting copied and downloaded and then it reappears, but the version that was you was killed instantly, mm -hmm. but the version that mm -hmm. comes out the other end would never know that. They think that life has just continued. Mm -hmm. And, but mm -hmm. that other, your other version of yourself just experienced an excruciating death. So it's kind of like, it's in that ballpark a little bit. Mm -hmm. I guess it just takes faith. Yeah, well, you guys were saying last week that you've watched all of the way through Voyager, and you know Harry Harry Kim gets killed like every other week. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and they bring in another Harry Kim, and he goes, "Oh, I wonder if I'm the same person," and it's never mentioned again. Yeah. No. <laughs> I mean, spoilers for the ending of uh, Voyager, which was quite emotional. We just got to it last week. Um, oh, right. Admiral Janeway, the older one, she travels back in time to save her previous self, and she sacrifices herself so their younger self can live so it's another one of the situations where it's like you wonder if she you know she's lived a whole life herself and she's perfectly okay to die so their younger self can live but you know mm. she still has to die in order for that to happen yeah so very yeah. like i don't know i don't want to time travel i don't want to get in transporters <laughs> that's that's the, <laughs> <laughs> the future is terrifying and so does outer space <laughs> um all right, so they're back in the past again, like almost in the previous episode, and this is just like classic Back to the Future 2 stuff, where that movie was about like going back to the first movie, which is a really clever idea, but also in a way, it's a cheap way to reuse animation in this case. Um, but like, yeah. it, it's done well here. It's it's done really well. Um, um, they meet Professor X again. He reads their mind to get reconvinced about what's going on, um, and then they, I don't know, like. There's a happy ending. <laughs> um, uh, first, they're fooled. Professor X's friend Cindy comes in the door, um, but it turns out to be Nimrod. So they have to fight Nimrod again. He's Good thing Wolverine has super smelling powers oh, right, yeah. to detect that yeah. Nimrod. I mean, uh, weird that Prof Professor X doesn't detect that Cindy is a robot and not a person. Um, I don't know. Uh, well, in the last episode, though, he did say at this stage in his life he doesn't like using his powers. So maybe it's not like later on where he's constantly scanning around That's him. That's true. But you would think like yeah. Wolverine's nose that maybe he couldn't help but detect that something's off. Yeah, like he could smell engine oil or something. Right, but then again, like uh, he's young and his powers are kind of new, so who knows like what power extent he has of doing things like that um so that's fine uh they fight nimrod again um then they have fitzroy shows up he's intending to kill professor x but they give him the message from his former self which does manage to convince him that this is a bad idea 
so uh, they don't so he doesn't uh, go through with blowing up the professor um, again but then the at the the 1950s timeline sort of ends where Fitzroy drains Professor X and then says that line again he'll be okay in a day or two I guess he's just reminding kids that he's not killing people hmm. um, yeah yeah right and then he creates a time portal and leaves the scene so it's here we get our romantic goodbye between Wolverine and Storm, which is quite touching and sad. Mm. I, I remember I cried as a kid oh, wow. watching that. Oh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's um, really well no, done. I yeah, found that really well done. Yeah. And, you know, I love their kiss goodbye um, and the few words they exchange with each other. Um, I like that there's, like, laser lights coming out of their mouths as they're kissing. <laughs> <laughs> I love touches like that. I just remember being a kid, like, drawing you know whether it be x-men or just drawing anything and always having details like that with like colors and crayons where i would just make like lightning or lights explode out of people's like hands or eyes and like a very geometric pattern uh-huh. so mm-hmm. I, I was always really satisfying to see that stuff animated i thought i'm like a real sucker for like laser light shows coming out of people's orifices <laughs> that's why i like <laughs> so much <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's why I'm a big Cyclops fan. I don't know. That's really strangely put. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm just yeah. realizing in this moment, I never said that out loud either until just now. Oh, um, the possibility. Yeah, right. And then, uh, so, but everything's back to normal. Um, Wolverine and Storm, they, they, they set their time bands to go back to wherever. Um, and then we're back at the present day, and... We see Wolverine and Storm as we saw them in the first episode, like, at, you know, in the regular continuity as X-Men, not as lovers, and they're at the picnic. Weirdly, though, they hear Wolverine scream through the temporal storm distance, which was kind of bizarre, right? Mm-hmm. That, like, their love was so intense as the timeline's being fixed that both the real Wolverine Storm hear it, like, from the clouds, and they're like, that's strange. Hmm. And I think that is very strange. It's almost like Field of Dreams or something. Yeah. Mm. There's a disembodied voice calling out to them. Um, so, but they're, you know, they're picnicking, and um, they're just sort of talking about... I, I forget what they're talking about, but... It's another hint at, like, the relationship that never was, almost. Right, yeah. yeah but Professor yeah. X, like, scrolls, strolls onto the scene, and he sees him, and of course now he knows what the truth is, because mm. he lived through it, and he remembers them. And so that's, like, another weird secret he's going to have to keep for... He had to keep for his whole life, essentially mm. forever, that he knows about, like, in his childhood, he's already met Wolverine and Storm, and they were in love. I mean, he doesn't have to keep that a secret. Well, he kind of does, because he no, has like, to... code of conduct saying that he's not allowed to tell them about it. Yeah, but... <sighs> To an extent, because he's going to meet them as he grows older, he's going to meet Wolverine and Storm again, and he's going to be like, oh, wow. But then he can't say anything. So in a weird way, and he has to preserve the timeline, you know? Yeah, I I, I think there's also a sort of moral dimension there in that if if someone were to say – if someone were – to say to me that they had seen an alternative timeline and I wasn't with Rod, I was with someone else. Right. And, you know, let's let's assume that I I believe them and there's evidence of that. How, how would that change my relationship? Would I be wondering how my life would be different with that person that would take me out of the life I'm living now exactly. psychologically? Yeah. So, yeah, so it's like, 
Yeah, yeah but Xavier could tell them. Norse Storm are in a relationship with anybody else. It, in Th- fact, this is true. Both of their situations would probably improve if they actually did have reason to consider being together That's, in yeah, the real yeah. timeline. That's fine, <laughs> and I agree, and I think Wolverine Storm should date, as I said in the last episode, and there's no reason they shouldn't. Um, but the point is, from Professor X's point of view, by him knowing about them before he's met them, before he's supposed to have met them, that's a problem. Because that alters the future in a way that who knows what the consequences could be. Mm. Just by him having to act funny, sort of, like not being totally truthful with them. And I don't know. It, it's strange. It's, it's like a problem that's also, it's also in Back to the Future. Because by the end of the first Back to the Future, when Marty travels back to the present, he needs to save Doc from being shot. This new version of Doc has met in his past has now when he meets marty he knows marty from his own past from when marty traveled back in time Mm -hmm. and that's like that must have changed the present in different ways too Mm -hmm. so it's all like very confusing when you get to that place and something that seems to have changed for xavier of course is at the beginning of the last episode or midway through the last episode he was saying to his colleague dr gray oh right yeah Mm -hmm. yeah another um another cameo uh he was saying to his colleague that he doesn't believe that single generation mutation is possible now whether he actually believes that or he's trying to hide his own mutant powers we don't really know but through meeting bishop shard wolverine and storm he goes oh yes it is Mm. (laughs) and that may be the impetus for starting the school so we end up in a bootstrap paradox of did he start the school first or was he inspired to start the school by these time travelers i I have no idea um i do i want to talk about before we finish up here, the distinction because we've just watched another like Professor Professor X flashback episode where um, it's a juggernaut one. I don't know if if you remember it, Brendan, um, where uh, we see the juggernaut in Professor X's childhood, and um, oh yeah 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 right. And Professor X is like sort of presented as this like real dandy boy and real wimpy. I thought and just not. Um, cool in any way he's just like a total classic geek in a lot of ways and Mm -hmm. and also here as his young college self he's kind of similar he's very he's like uh i don't know what the right word is but he's just not like strong willed or he's got like kind of like a weak backbone maybe it's just very different from the young professor x we see in the movies who's like way super swaggering and confident yeah. and ha- you know has a full head of hair maybe that's part of it um, <laughs> but i just i just think that's like I, I that stuck out to me when i saw the 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 days uh the um first class movie because I, I was every time i saw an x movie i always compared it to the cartoon and just I, mm-hmm. that was a big distinction to me that in the cartoon professor x it took him time to develop his strength of like courage and character um and become who he was where in the movies he starts off like kind of like in the opposite like end of the spectrum He's not. Yeah, serious. yeah. He's like real, like like a happy-go-lucky kind of guy. Mm. The implication for me in the cartoon show is that his sort of um, stronger character, at backbone, as you say, comes in that time where he's working with, with Magnus the, yeah. after after the war. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's it's never explicitly spelled out, but it's like yeah, going from that environment of being a, a, re, a pretty much a research scientist in a yes. university to like a hippie doctor almost. Yeah, yeah, to being 
in a war or in the tail end of a war and then helping people recover afterwards and also then trying to help your best friend get over the trauma of seeing their family murdered yes you know that builds him up but i think also that is why the character is often very emotionally distant yeah from the re- from the rest of the x-men like it's kind of like in season two where they're saying we have to find the professor there's this undercurrent of well we don't actually know anything personally about him you know he's right. just the professor yeah and in the in the original comics a part of that was that before wolverine arrived on the scene the love triangle was scott gene and charles charles was in love with gene in the early comics yeah and yeah that's a bit 15 years old or something (laughs) yeah yeah she's 15 and Uh, yeah in the 1960s it was not abnormal for a a domineering older man to pursue a relationship with a like a woman on the the cusp of her you know womanhood like totally inappropriate today probably inappropriate back then too but just men were not like i I guess politically the political correctness of it was not as as pronounced but there's no way that that wasn't a thing where i think it would have been i think people would have like looked funny if there's you know a a 40 year old professor with an 18 year old student Mm. i mean yeah i'm so glad that that element of the character isn't carried over into the cartoon because as you say by the 90s that's not how we write stories yeah absolutely (laughs) because yeah yeah, the '60s version of Charles when he when he's thinking, oh no no, I can't possibly do that. It's not I can't possibly do that. She's my student. Stop having these thoughts. Is I can't possibly do that because I'm in a wheelchair. Yeah, I know it's so weird. And he is <laughs> he, he was way more of an asshole then too in the com in the early '60s comics. Yeah, like Professor, you're alive. Yes, I faked my death as a test. Yeah, it's like, you bastard. Yeah, I know. And he would just <laughs> berate he he'd like berate Wolverine like he was a little boy and other weird yeah. stuff like and yell at Cyclops like he once calls Cyclops a cur. Like a insufferable cur and like threatens to hit it. Like I think there's a panel where his hands up. He's like gonna slap him across the face. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's in the Phoenix Saga. <laughs> but that, everyone should check out comic book early comic book Professor X. It's really insane. <laughs> but um, I like I do like in the cartoon that what you're talking about when uh, Professor X is changed by his interaction, his friendship with Magneto, and that, and how that friendship crumbled. It's like. He he really he knew he had to take on the extra responsibility to to meet the challenge that Magneto and people like Magneto would represent. That he had to like create his own paramilitary fighting force, you know, mm-hmm. like that it was the responsible thing to do. Like he he upped his game to to meet Magneto's violence. Um, it's like he didn't want to be violent himself, but he he knew he had to like create something to to be like a counterbalance to Magneto, so that his uh, pursuit of his dream of peace and brotherhood could exist. It's just like very interesting. I just love that aspect of of Professor X, like the related to Magneto, like as an inspiration to create the X Men. Yeah, it's the ostensible difference between an army and a peacekeeping force. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's like it's like his own like weird. The X Men are like his own weird private like anti-magneto army or maybe army yeah. is too strong of a word but just some like anti-magneto force like that's why it was created just to, to stop specifically magneto and then the mission gets broadened you know as they go mm. along and have their adventures but it's just yeah. I, I like i just like that bit of storytelling there's something that like you know it's like everything that great about the x-men was accidentally created by stanley and jack kirby and but like you know expanded mainly by chris claremont in much more rich way and other writers yes. too but it's just like it's amazing how even by accident they just set up like the perfect premise uh that allowed for all this like cool stuff that we're still talking about to this day yeah and it's being explored extensively in the movies that are coming out right. and like it's really just 
off and running. Yeah. I think I think when X-Men gets folded into the Disney MCU universe, it's going to be something spectacular. I really think that they're going to like... I, I've said this on a previous podcast, but I think it's like... It has the potential to be as big as something like Star Wars, in a way. I yeah. think Disney should yeah. approach it that way. That these are like the premier Marvel characters that are secretly more... It's not really secret, but like technically more popular than even Spider-Man. You know, they, they've mm. got the most like meat on the bone dramatically, uh, thematically, you know, all the things that they represent and can represent and all the wonderful plot lines and the color and the, 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 the history and storyline. It really there really should be something that they put to like the top of their like priority list of of making special. Yeah, I think a, a really clever thing they could do, and seeing as um, these terms have recently come back in the comics as well, um, just say they wanted to start off with a trilogy of X-Men films. Right. X-Men Blue is the first film. X-Men Gold. Mm. And then some huge threat that brings both teams together. So in the first two movies, you have cameos from the members of the other team. You could even write the, the two films as happening at the same time. Yeah. Oh, I love this. Oh. Mm-hmm. So Keep not exactly going. part one and part two, but just say part one ends with a cliffhanger. Part two ends with the same cliffhanger, but from the perspective of the other team. Ooh, part three. Fucking great. Then lifts off from there. And that way you only have to introduce, say, five characters in each film. Yeah. So... Whereas I think Justice League kind of mishandled that in that we should have had the Flash, Aquaman, and Cyborg movies before Justice League, right. rather than try and cram everyone, cram everyone's introductions in. The public, as you say, are already familiar with the X Men characters, just so long as you use recognizable yeah. X Men characters with a completely new cast, if you have to. Right. Um, but yeah, if you can bring over. Um, oh gosh, I forget. Uh, Sophie Turner yeah. and Olivia Munn, and you know the new um, Apocalypse the Age. Yeah, yeah. The the new young actors. If you can bring them over to Disney, do. If you can't, unfortunately, then recast. But yeah, have you know you just introduce five in this film, you introduce five in the next film, and then you have a big team up, <laughs> and you say to, you say to everyone, right, this is going to be sort of 2020, 2022, 2024. That's when you're going to see these movies. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I, I wanted my thing. I've said it many times. Is I always I wanted them to make a movie called Giant Size X Men, and I, and I, I think that I always thought that would be an appropriate idea for rebooting them yet again because you know they've already sort of been rebooted rebooted twice already. Um, I just like the idea that Giant Size X Men was the first reboot of the series, at least in yeah, the comic. Yeah. I think that just that title just lends itself perfectly to a reboot um, in, in the MCU. Uh, like, cause then you can, you could really have proper storm, proper Colossus, you know, proper nightcrawler, you know, I, I, and, but for me, proper means like costumes and like attitude and, yeah. um, I, and I don't know how that translates to a big screen. Like, I don't know. I think it's very difficult to, to nail the X-Men on, on a big screen. I, I really think it's, it's like a, it's a tall task to make. Like, let me ask you this last question, Brendan. Mm-hmm. How do you feel like, how would you feel about costumes, costuming the X-Men in the MCU? Um, is it too ridiculous to expect, you know, the bright colors and the spandex or do they have to do something, you know, or can they do that? I, yeah, I would love to see the bright colors and the spandex. Yeah. I am concerned how the general theater going public would see that. But I think immediately it would 
create a new visual identity for these films. I agree. Because, yeah. yeah. And there is, there is precedent for it because even though in the Avengers films the costumes are muted, yeah. you know, Captain America is still in blue with giant red and white stripes on his yeah, chest. But it's a little dirty you know, and kind of, you know, worn. Yeah, so I think maybe just say with Wolverine, if they went for the yellow and tan outfit. Yeah. Rather than the yellow and blue. Right, right. Um, yeah, Rat, Storm. Brown and tan, yeah. Yeah, Storm, they could go with the black outfit or the white outfit. Yeah. Nightcrawler, they might just have to reduce the size of the shoulders a bit or just right. put him in a jump a jumpsuit with lines rather than red, the huge yeah, shoulders. Just a red and black jumpsuit. Yeah. Mm. I think for those giant sized characters, you could do a realistic yet still colourful look. Um, now I'm next thing I'm gonna say, I'm coming from a from a point of distance because I'm not American, but I would like to see a better treatment of Thunderbird. Yeah. Um, because his his costume is sort of based in stereotypes, and he speaks in stereotypes. Well, how about Sunfire. Yeah. Stereotypes. Also, yeah. <laughs> the imperial so, flag of Japan as a spandex body covering. You know, those those characters who were kind of written in to be to be considered exotic, but also disposable. Because Thunderbirds killed early on. Sunfire kind of goes, "No, nah, I'm not working with you, losers. I'm off." Yeah. Um, and yeah, I'm I'm saying this from a point of view of, of course, in Australia we have a very troubled history with our Indigenous population, um, and Suicide Squad a couple of years ago had um, is it Zipline, yeah. who was played by an Indigenous actor, and spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't watched the film who wants to watch the film, I imagine that's quite a small subset. Yeah. <laughs> um, he he's just kind of killed off to prove the nature of a threat. Right. And I kind of saw that coming because I'd heard of every other single character. Right, right, yeah. And I'd, and I'd never heard so of it's him. It's like indigenous characters have given been given really crappy treatment in these pop culture yeah, mediums. And, and I think this could be Although, I, think, I think Thunderbirds has a prominent role in the in the um, in the new Fox series. Uh, yeah. What's it called again? Oh, I, uh, gifted. Yeah. 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 Oh, okay. I have. Is it gifted? No? Yeah, it's gifted. Yeah, the yeah. gifted. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. I haven't. Um, I haven't seen that yet because that's on cable here, and I don't have cable. I'll. I'll have to see that when it comes onto Netflix if it's not already. Okay, that that's good. But yeah, I mean, when they did Giant Size X Men, they specifically went for we're going to have these mutants all be these new characters all be from different places around the world. Yeah. Yeah, and I think in most cases they did that really well, and especially in the cartoon. If you look at Colossus at a time shortly after the fall of the Iron Curtain, at the end of a period of daytime, you have a sympathetic, likeable, heroic Russian character. He's one of the best characters. It's, you know, I, I, I they need to do him justice as well. I mean, he's mm -hmm. kind of funny yeah. in Deadpool, and I'm not saying that was a bad characterization, but mm. he dramatically, there's so much to do with him as well. He's a great superhero. Yeah, and you know, I have a lot of respect actually for Daniel Cudmore, who played him in the um, in the Fox trilogy. Yeah, because he, he, he was asked to come back and do the film, but I when guess. he heard it was just his voice and he wouldn't be playing the part physically, he said, "No, no, like, oh, I, I didn't know that." Wanna, yeah, he's like, "No, if I'm going to play it, I want to play it fully. I don't just want to be a voice because you know, I was, I know I was a minor character in these films, but I put a lot of thought into it. And in, if that if that's the case, if he's fully CG, no, thank you." Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think, like, 
You know, I'll, my last thing I'll say about the costumes, I know this is silly, but I, I just keep, I can't help but speculate. <laughs> um, I, I think they could pull off the outrageous, like, colors and spandex, and I think they could couch it in that mutants, they could show a world where mutants are really oppressed, and it's really bad to be a mutant, especially a young teenage mutant, right? Or 12 or 13 years old, where they have no one to look up to, they're thought of as dirty and diseased and freaks. And so, yeah. and then it's like a, you can imagine some poor urchin mutant kid on the streets, like running away, like a Murloc type kid, right? Like running, Leech. yeah, right, exactly. Yeah. And he bumps into Colossus, and he sees this like big gleaming man in like a tight, you know, red and yellow uh, spandex type outfit. Or he bumps into Wolverine in his like you know bright yellow outfit or Rogue in her you know tight green outfit. And, and to, to him as a mutant. It, there's like a dignity in their costuming that they're like yeah. so like bold and like not proud. afraid yeah not afraid mm-hmm. to express themselves and it's almost like their own like mutant subculture yeah where, like, we're, he- we're here we're super powered yeah. we're not going shopping exactly. yeah yeah and it's like yeah mutants are like to be a proud mutant in this universe is to be one that like uh like outrageously expresses themselves you know as like a anti-authoritarian anti-authoritative sort of way and and that it can extend itself to the good and to the bad spectrum too. The bad mutants also had this attitude of like this desire to express themselves in a totally unique way away from like traditional human fashion trends. And Mm. that could be the excuse of why these mutants are like walking around and like showing their muscles and their perfect bodies and things. (laughs) And I I think you could sell it that way. And and I I think like dramatically you could sell it that way. It doesn't just have to be this ridiculous happenstance of why they're dressed like this. I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with a happen stance of they're just dressed like this though like <laughs> this is a world in, that is inhabited by super powered people like I I think it would I don't think it needs an excuse like mm-hmm. if you want to like give it a little bit more drama or reason or significance then cool that's great but to me if they just went ahead with some regular plot lines and also put them in brightly colored spandex i'd be cool with that <laughs> like yeah yeah well it's like and the question's I, the audience it's like what is the audience what can they accept logically just from a visual perspective you know mm. that, that's why I you know i need the dramatic excuse yeah i think if the story's good the audience has a better chance of expecting it because i think the only reason we got the black leather uniforms in 1999 or whenever the first x film came out was that at that time comic book movies were seen as b movies they're not going to be good they're just going to be popcorn fodder no one was expecting the x-men movie to be good Mm. yeah like even even my brother yeah even my brother huge x-men fan he was so dirty on it because Hugh Jackman is too tall to play Wolverine. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, the the seal of approval that movie got was he came home from... He managed to get tickets to the, the red carpet premiere, Whoa. I think. Like, he, he won them in a competition and he came home and he went... Damn, it was actually really good. Yeah, and he's re- and he's really good as well. He's still tall. The, you can forgive the tallness, <laughs> yeah, because the story's yeah. really good. Yeah, 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 and it doesn't stick yeah, out. That, yeah, yeah, you know, and it's been said so many times before that that then led to being able to have Iron Man movies and yeah, a Thor and Avengers and whatnot. But yeah, I think possibly now the public is ready for yellow spandex. I think so too. <laughs> if I you're listening, Marvel, that, like, Kevin Feige. Yeah, I know. I also think though that like those 
the black like Batman's costume for example there's nothing realistic about that it's ridiculous if you see a person walking down the street with that outfit on it's totally ridiculous there's like fake plastic abs on that costume well, yeah, that's yeah. something they keep doing in the stupid movies like why do they keep giving him molded body armor no matter what incarnation give him the stupid right. spandex too yeah. it can be great you can make it black you can make it gray you can make it some like believable color but I don't get why it he... doesn't even have to be believable you know like Adam West got away with purple and like a shiny cape like yeah whatever yeah. Yeah. <laughs> superheroes come on <laughs> you know just before Willie when you were saying putting them in the bright costumes means you know sort of mutant pride we're out and we're proud and I'm just thinking in a week's time my wrestling team is going to be in neon orange green and pink wrestling singlets marching down oxford street in sydney for the yearly mardi gras and i remember as a kid watching the mardi gras on television and kind of going oh wow okay you know there there are there are people like me out there so i think i think there is something in that yeah i agree it's 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 a nice it needs to it's a nice it's a it's a nice fuck you with a really positive message to like you know people who oppressors everywhere right yeah Yeah. i'm guessing it's it would be a fuck you to the redditor commenters who would think it's stupid but i think there's a way to like turn it on its head and and make them feel like idiots for thinking it couldn't work or Mm. something like that but yeah i actually think that any x-men fan at this point wants to see it regardless you know of if it if it's going to be tasteful or not i think it just needs to be done once at least yeah all right, so um, that was another uh, a great conversation, Brendan. Uh, thank you so much for, again, appearing on our yeah, podcast. thanks for hanging out. I've had so much fun. Thank you both. It was a really great treat to have you once again. Um, uh, please uh, inform the audience as to how they can follow you and find you. Indeed. Uh, they can find me personally on Twitter, at Brandy Bongos um, <laughs> is, my, is my Twitter handle. I also have um, a YouTube channel. If you search for Doctor Who in 10 seconds, uh, that's my main Ooh. thing that I do on YouTube. Uh, my Doctor Who podcast, along with my friends, is uh, at, F- at FTE Podcast on Twitter. FlightThroughEntirety.com is the website, and you can find us on Apple Podcasts and Facebook under Flight Through Entirety. Our James Bond commentary podcast, which is currently uh, we're currently doing the Daniel Craig films. Oh. Uh, you can, f- mm, yeah, you can find that um, at bondfinger.com, bondfingercast on Twitter, and bondfinger on Facebook and Apple Podcasts. You've given me an excuse. To, I, I I can't wait to to start rewatching the Bond movies with your commentaries. It's going to be so much. Fun. <laughs> but I got to ask you one question about that. Yes. I, yes. I don't know how. You, I mean, I'm a huge Beatles fan. I I don't care if you don't like them or if you do love them. Um, mm-hmm. But when the scene comes up or bond makes fun of the beetle music like how did you guys react to that was there a comment made or oh gosh that was that was so long ago i think we um i think we kind of just discussed um how yeah i think we kind of just discussed you know how at this point in the 60s it was all about bond and the beatles really you know in 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 the uk they were the two big cultural icons yeah yeah and so to have Bond taking a shot at the Beatles, it wasn't exactly a meanness thing. It yeah. was more, it, w- it was like an Easter egg. Oh, okay, that's what interesting. Yeah. Was, it, was, our, was our take on it. And also the character of Bond wouldn't be into the Beatles. He's, yeah. He is an establishment character and they were anti-establishment. Right, yeah. So they, they were two sides of the same, the same culture. The Beatles were the counterculture and Bond was, Bond was 
the culture made cool. Right. Yeah. It's just that yeah. the, that the line always just the red flag of <laughs> whatever it is just always goes off, and I see that because Goldfinger is my favorite Bond movie, and just yep. whenever when he bad mass appeals, I just shudder. I'm like, no, you dumbass. <laughs> They're well, great. If it's, con- yeah. if it's any consolation, do remember that about ten seconds later he gets brained with a bottle of champagne, so he does pay his penance. <laughs> 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 Not to mention his like his temporary girlfriend gets killed by being asphyxiated by gold paint, but that's right. Like, oh, I will. Yeah, yeah. I will say though, um, flight through entirety is if you, is if you like rated for all audiences. Bondfinger, um, because it's Bond, and because we have a bit to drink beforehand, it does have the expli- it does have the explicit tag. So, uh, just a warning um, for this view. Out this there. podcast has the explicit tag as well. So, oh, that's true. Uh, that, that is true. safe waters as far as this audience is concerned. I think. Um, so yeah, kind of the first half. Of- parents maybe appreciate that warning. <laughs> yes, the first half of any Bondfinger is oh yeah, you know the cultural influences of this, right. and then the second half is how can he even hear in that helmet? Oh, pour me another wine. (laughs) That's great. Awesome. All right. um, Thanks, Brendan. Um, I want to remind viewers, follow me on Twitter at Willie Simpson. Uh, Join the X-Men Task Podcast Facebook group. That's where you can talk to me, Sonia, uh, all our wonderful fans, including Brendan. Um, I think that's how we first started communicating. Um, and uh, it's just it's a really lovely friendly community uh, where fans can tell us uh, all the details we get wrong um, inform us on our <laughs> our, our gaping X-Men logic or uh, knowledge holes as far as the comics and the continuity goes um, so we love to hear from you guys there and uh, rate and review us on iTunes um, if you're an Apple user uh, that I guess the you know that's the major uh, format for spreading uh, podcast awareness so uh, if you're so inclined <laughs> please do so um, that is all I have to say uh, Brendan, again, it's been an absolute uh, privilege and uh, an honor to speak to you on our show. It's been really fun the past couple of weeks. Um, Sonia, do you have any last words here? No, total agreement. It's been really fun hanging out with you guys. Thanks. Uh, it's been really, really super. I haven't stopped smiling for the last two and a half hours that we've, uh, that we've been recording. Yeah, I hope we didn't I'd be... you too much here, these extended conversations on... No, no, this, this is... Oh, I'm always happy to talk about spandex. No, this is fantastic. And, uh, yeah, I'd be very happy to come back. At, oh, yeah, anytime. Yeah, any we're going to be carrying yeah. on here with uh, X-Men. And, um, yeah, come back anytime you want to. If you have an episode you have in mind, or if you want to come back when we do Spider-Man, um, you're more than welcome to do that as well. I don't know how you feel about that cartoon. But you know. Oh yeah, that 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 one's good. Yeah. yeah. So I think I need to start rewatching that. Right. Any time. <laughs> <yeah. laughs> okay. Well, that's not going to be for a long time anyway. So you have some of time. Of course. <laughs> all, right. Uh, all right. Goodbye, everybody. Good night. Good night. Bye.